We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome to another Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Zuta, and I'm joined, as ever, by Danny Hewson. Hi, Laura. Yeah, and I'm afraid the last few weeks have been, well, decidedly gloomy on the money front. Uh, Inflation staying put, interest rates going up, and generally things feeling really tight for a lot of people. Uh, And if that is you, then can I point you back to some of our previous podcasts on mortgages, on debt, money-saving tips, or even better, if you sign up to our newsletter via our website, just Google AJ Bell Money Matters, and you will get all of our articles and podcast details into your inbox without having to search them out. And there's plenty of other great stuff on there, including a starter's guide to investing. And I'm also very happy that on this podcast, we're going to bring you some good news for a change, because like Danny said, it does feel quite doom and gloom and negative out there. And we've got some latest figures that show that more women are investing, which is definitely source for excitement. Hooray. I love good news. Just isn't enough good news. And we're going to bring you a lot more on that in just a moment. But also stay tuned because Laura has been talking to the fabulous money coach, Laura Ann Moore, about how your childhood can impact your financial life as an adult. And she's got some brilliant tips to shake off bad habits that have become ingrained over generations. I loved this interview. I felt like I took away so many tips of things and I feel like she highlighted some bad habits and traits and things that you've learned from your childhood that I was like, oh, that is me and I need to go and work on that. <laughs> Come on, share. What what were the bad habits that you thought, that's me? I don't want spoiler alerts. I don't want to ruin Laura's interview, but a lot of things, you know, like the mantras that your your parents say to you when you're younger, like money doesn't grow on trees, things like that, where I was like, <gasps> My parents used to always say that. So some really great tips she's got in there, really eye-opening stuff. And also, helpfully, she's got loads of tips of how you can kind of overcome these things by yourself rather than necessarily having to go to, you know, a money coach or a therapist or anything like that to deal with these things. I'm looking forward to it because I really worry that I am completely ruining my kids with the way that I talk about money, particularly because money is so tight at the moment. Yeah, it was very interesting from that point of view as well. Let's dig into some of that positive news that we've got, Danny. So food inflation is coming down. So food prices aren't rising by as much as they were. That's source for good news, isn't it? It is. And we've got um, a bit of price war action going on in the supermarkets as well. Obviously, they're fighting for our customer and they do recognise that shoppers have become increasingly savvy and they're more prepared to travel around. Um, you know, you're not just doing one shop anymore. We're kind of back to the old small baskets, visiting lots of shops because people are looking for the absolute best bargain. And bargain hunting, you know, it's become a bit of a sport and people are sharing tips on social media. And if you find the best bargain, you kind of feel all puffed up. Yeah. And I think definitely if I look at how my shopping habits have changed this year, I'm definitely doing that more shopping at Audi for all of my bulk stuff rather than just relying on my Tesco food delivery that comes most weeks. Um, I'm buying way more secondhand. I've got slightly addicted to vintage 
um, <laughs> and buying secondhand things there. So maybe that hasn't actually reduced my total spend on clothing, but at least I'm buying secondhand cheaper items that are a bit more environmentally friendly as well. So I think lots yeah. of people will have anecdotal stuff like that where they realized, actually, I have changed my shopping habits quite a bit to try and cut costs. I love vintage. I absolutely love vintage. And my favorite shirt ever had, you know, when you've worn something for so long and unfortunately the underarms where the deodorant is, it, it all started to go really horrible and then actually great big hole. And I found it on vintage and I've replaced it and I'm so happy. That's a great shout. I didn't even think about doing that to replace loved items. That is yeah. Cool. Um, and continuing on the good news train, energy prices are coming down. So we've got the energy price cap coming down from next month. Um, so everyone's energy prices are going to be that bit cheaper. Now, obviously, at the moment, we're using less energy as well. So bills will be a bit lower. But hopefully that means that going into the winter when it starts to get cold, which I don't even want to think about yet, but it should mean that our energy bills are all a little bit lower. And mobile phones as well. I know that we all... Um... Well, if you have a mobile phone, certainly if you're on a contract, you'll have found that that fee will have gone up by more than inflation this year. And for a lot of people, it's been huge. But if you have come to the end of your contract and you can go on to a SIM only deal, you can find some fantastic deals from as low as £12 a month. So there's some really good saving opportunities out there just to bring some of those expenses down uh, and the big one the big bit of good news for us because we have been banging on about the gender investment gap for ages and it was one of the big reasons for starting this podcast in the first place because women generally live longer than men but on average have tens of thousands of pounds less in their pension pots and other investments but in 2023 there's a glimmer of hope laura Yep. So the good news is that more women are investing. I would like to say that this is entirely down to us and our efforts, but actually <laughs> these are the latest government figures which look at the 2020 to 21 tax year. So they're a couple of years out of date. So hopefully figures have been growing since then. But anyway, for these stats, these are the figures on the number of people opening ISA accounts. So they look at cash ISAs and stocks and shares ISAs, which are sometimes called investment ISAs. And one of the figures is they break it down between men and women. And so what we've got now is 1.1 million women are using an investment ISA compared to 931,000 in the previous year. So a big increase in the number of women switching and opening an investment ISA. So on top of that, 324,000 women have both a cash and an investment ISA, so both of those types of accounts. And that's up almost 100,000 on the previous year. So this is all really great news. The slightly annoying factor is that that gender investment gap hasn't really shifted at all. So while we've seen lots more women investing, we've also seen lots more men investing as well. So 60% of all investment ISAs where money was added in that 2020-21 tax year were from men and 40% were from women. So... Actually, when we look at the overall ISA figures, women are slightly more likely to have an ISA, but they're still sticking to cash accounts rather than putting their money into investing. So they're saving, but they're sticking to cash rather than investing it. Um, so overall, women make up 57% of all cash ISA accounts out there compared to 43% of men. So that ratio of men to women is stubbornly stuck, but 
more women are investing, and I think that's really encouraging. I love that number, almost 100,000 having a cash ISA and also a stocks and shares ISA. I mean, that is brilliant. And I'm sure we have played a huge part in moving that down. <laughs> we'll claim it. But what what about the total amount of money that men have versus women in their eyes? Because that's a big one. Yeah, so I had to look at this and I found it really interesting. So this is on average across all ISAs, so investment ISAs and cash ISAs. So men have just under £24,000 in their ISA on average. And women have just under £22,000, so about £2,000 less. And I thought, oh, that's a decent difference. That's a bit disappointing. But then... When I drilled through the figures, they break it down by um, different pot sizes. And essentially, women are equally as likely as men to have big ISA pots. So they categorize them as £50,000 or more. Um, similar number of men and women have those big ISA pots. But women are far more likely to have smaller ISA pots. So those ones in the kind of 2500 to £10,000, a lot of those will probably be in cash. Um, and so actually, that drags down the average. So it's not that women are less likely to have big isopots than men it's actually just that there's more women with smaller isopots that are dragging down those average figures so actually you know kind of the wealthiest women are as wealthy as the wealthiest men which i think is a good takeaway i think that is a great takeaway and i just think if you're investing anything and we know it's really tough at the moment but if you can start if you can start habits early but anytime if you can start investing it, it is something which you can then build on and it is so massively important. So it's brilliant to see the dial shifting just a little bit, although the gap, as you say, not really disappearing in any way, shape or form. But uh, normally you and I talk for much longer, but as we've said, we've got a brilliant guest this week and she's got such a lot to say about how lessons learned as kids impact our financial well-being as adults. Laura Ann Moore, a money and mindset expert and a certified financial coach who runs a financial education platform called Mind Money Soul. She spoke to Laura about why the way we spend and save now is influenced by our childhood and how we can shake off some of the bad habits we've picked up as a result. First up, Laura, I'm so interested in this link between childhood and like your childhood experiences and your attitudes to money. So tell me a bit more about how that works. Yeah, so the thing I always say, one thing that everyone has in common is we all have a money story. And your money story is like, what happened to you throughout your childhood that impacts your core memories of money? So what is it that happened? What experiences did you have? What things did you hear? You know, like one of the most common things is uh, money doesn't grow on trees. A lot of people had their parents say that. I know that I did. And I know that had a, had a massive impact. And basically when you're, when you're younger, so between the ages of like zero to seven, your brain waves are a different state. So you haven't yet formed your analytical mind to be able to hear something and go, is that, do I agree with that? Is that true? Do I want to believe that? You're young. We're like these giant sponges taking everything in that we hear and see and learn just to be true, just to be fact. And it gets lodged, you know, in our subconscious as feelings and thoughts and beliefs. And that money story, everything that we hear from our parents to what we see at school, what we read on the news, really plays into 
and build up a picture of how you as an individual view money to work in the world. So it's different for everybody. Um, and the key thing I think is like acknowledging that, you know, we didn't really have a choice what was happening to us between the ages of zero to seven. Um, and not that that's the only thing that has an impact, but it's very like pivotal and foundational from that age. So your money mindset is usually set by age seven. And then you've obviously got this chunk in the middle, which is like, you know, your teenage years and your early 20s when you start earning money and you start having your own experiences. And um, those, yeah, those first sort of early years of your life do have a massive impact on how you view money, handle money, behave with money. Um, so it's very, very powerful stuff, your money story. So can you give maybe some examples of how something that was said to you in your childhood or maybe your parents' attitudes to money would impact how you deal with money now as an adult? Yeah, of course. Cool. So if I tell like, I guess my money story. I think that's always like a nice place to share because you can see it from, um, you know, firsthand experience. But I was raised in a family with, I had mum, a dad, I had three brothers and sisters. There were six of us in one house and money was always a stretch. Like I saw the stress that lack of money can bring or lack of financial education can bring. And it was, you know, a stressful topic. And I was hearing things like money doesn't grow on trees. I want, never got, um, we can't afford that right now or at all and it was it was always you know being shut down and I heard those kind of things and saw my parents you know quite stressed out with money and I built up this picture of the way that money worked in the world because my dad was a self-employed plumber so he was out working all the time he was like really early mornings late nights all the time so I built up this picture of okay so my dad is out working and making money all the time and yet we never seem to have any. So that created a belief within me that money's really hard to make and keep. And that played out for me as I kind of got into, you know, I got my first job when I was like six, 15, 16. And I was like determined to not handle money in the same way. So I, it pushed me the opposite way that my dad was into being like a massive saver, a bit of a hoarder with money. Like I was scared to spend it. I wanted to hold on to it. Um, and by the time I kind of got to like 19, 20 and I was starting, to, or even a bit older and I was starting to look to like build my own business and go self-employed, I realized that I had these really deep embedded money beliefs that self-employment was really hard and I wasn't gonna be able to make any money. So you can see kind of how that knock-on effect has and how it manifests in a certain way as an adult. And I always say like the key thing is that just the way that your parents are or guardians are, you're not going to be an exact replica of that because I have three brothers and sisters. We were all raised in the same house with the same parents, really seemingly the same experience. And yet we all think and feel about money very differently. So it's more your own individualistic beliefs and how you take on those experiences and what you as an individual learn from that and what you take on. So that's where I guess it has that direct, you know, sort of impact from childhood through to adulthood and kind of like into the working world as you make money. And that's kind of like my my version of that. But I've had loads of different clients, like one to one clients who have some have really similar experiences. Some, you know, if, if they had parents who were quite wealthy and were always giving them money, like, here you go, here's money for this, here's money for this. You don't need to work. I can put you for uni and give you money and they were getting an allowance for not doing much or what they maybe they were always being bailed out of sticky situations by the time they get to adulthood I had a client who found that they really struggled to uh, hold on to their own money because in the back of their mind subconsciously they always felt like they were going to be bailed out 
because their parents was always giving them money. And obviously it gets to the point when you're an adult where you, you know, their parents were like, we, we can't keep giving you money. So it affected, there's so many different ways. It's so individualistic. But then I guess you do this with jobs, so it's um, easier for you to identify the things in your childhood that impacted how you feel about money and then, you know, go about remedying them. How does the average person on the street work out what their money traits are that are linked to their childhood and, and fix them if they want to fix them, you know, if that's something that needs fixing? Mm. So I always say, like, the key element of understanding your own money mindset and improving your relationship with money starts with awareness and I'm a big believer in like self-reflection and you know like looking at your own behaviors and habits and really understanding like where do they come from how do they make me feel now obviously you can work with a coach like I am a I'm a financial coach you can work with someone like me and we can go really deep but you can do it on your own and I'm a massive, massive fan of journaling. I think it's such an incredible, easy sort of tool, whether it's, you know, physically writing it down or writing it down on, you know, a laptop or whatever kind of works for you. But asking yourself questions around your money story. So first of all, just getting really curious and being like, what is my earliest memory or memories of money? What phrases do I remember hearing about money? How, what do I feel I learned most from my parents? And sometimes simply just asking yourself those questions, you'll be surprised at kind of like what comes up. That's kind of like the past piece, you know, understanding what's my money story. Has that had an impact on my day to day? And the way that you can kind of start to explore that is literally by asking yourself, how do I feel about money today? How do I feel about saving? How do I feel about spending? Because when you think about your financial well-being, your well-being is how you feel about yourself in general. Your financial well-being is how you feel about money because we make all of our decisions around money from a place of emotion or most of our decisions from a place of emotion, not logic. So because you're starting with the emotion first, explore those feelings. And I always say the best thing you can do is be like judgment-free as though you're like looking at a friend's you know, a uh, uh, relationship with money, judgment free, and just get really curious. It's like a bit of fact finding, a bit of data, you know, analysis. And you might maybe on the first round of journaling, you'll have a real light bulb moment and be like, oh my God, I didn't realize that I do what my mum does, or I do the opposite, or that had an impact. Or it might take a little bit more digging. But just asking yourself those questions gets your brain sort of ticking away subconsciously and starts to, it starts to bring up different thoughts and feelings. Um, around that and I think you can really easily identify some linked behavior between maybe what happened or what has happened in the past especially for memories that come up from when you're younger because usually ones that pop up you say what's my earliest memory of money everyone has a few that comes up and it's the emotion that's attached to it so it might be the most random memory and it doesn't necessarily need to have a meaning it's more that it's stuck with you and then you can start to apply it to kind of your life now and see what areas of your finances that you don't feel confident in or what part of money makes you feel uneasy and then you can draw that link between the two so if some of these kind of habits um views on money have been formed since the age of seven or even younger surely it's quite hard to unpick them and to work on changing them um how do you go about doing that even after you've identified them so i think the key thing to say here is even though your money mindset is kind of formed by the age of seven. Our brains have neuroplasticity, which basically means they can change. 
And I, first of all, created this kind of like signature method around improving your money mindset. So I can walk you through that. And it's basically called the ABCA method. So the A stands for awareness. So starting with that awareness piece. And you can do that, like I said, through working with a coach or through just doing some journaling, really questioning. And if it's something you've never done before, usually it can be really fruitful because it's all new information. Your brain is going to be chucking stuff at you. And having a moment of awareness about your own behavior or past experiences can be can give you that kind of, I guess, hope, clarity and, and uh, excitement for what can come, knowing that your brain can change. So that's where the B, that's what the B stands for, which is like the belief that you can change. And there is an amazing book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it's a really good book. And it talks all about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Now, a growth mindset is somebody who believes that their intelligence and their personality traits can change. So if you want to do something, you know that you just need to work hard at, you know, keep at it and you'll be able to to improve skill or change who you are a fixed mindset is the belief that I am who I am this is my level of intelligence my skill set my personality and I can't change and you really see the the, the difference there are a lot of studies around the people that have fixed and people that have a growth mindset and what they're able to sort of go on to do but simply reading about and educating yourself on the difference between the two is usually enough to help you have a growth mindset, which I think is fascinating. So if you read that book, you will understand, oh, I understand now that I actually can change. It's just it maybe takes time and a bit of work. Now, the C stands for changing your language. Now, I am a massive believer that your language literally creates your life. So your words that you say out loud or the thoughts that you have create an emotion within you. That emotion is what drives your behavior and your, your behavior that, you know, you do every day is your life that becomes your reality. So how you view money is how you will be with money and starting to, first of all, recognize what language you use. I think when you are going through day-to-day life and you're with your friends, your partner or talking to yourself, as we all do seeing what language you use around money is it really negative you're always saying things like I will be so you know I'm so bad with money or um, I've never been able to save or I'm always overspending because basically we have this thing in our brains called the reticular activating system and it's essentially like a filtering system so really understanding the way that your brain works is really important because the words that you feed it anything you're saying to yourself your brain goes oh okay, right. So this is what we believe. Let's go out and look for evidence to reinforce what you're saying is true. So this filtering system, the RAS is going out going, okay, let's have a look for that. And that's why practicing gratitude in the morning works so well. Because if you wake up and you say, I'm really grateful for X, Y, and Z, and it's creating a really nice feeling in your body, you're priming your brain to go out and look for more good. You're priming your brain to find more things to be grateful for. And it goes both ways. So if you are saying things like, I'm so bad with money, your brain will go out and look for evidence of that. So for example, maybe one day, maybe you go slightly over budget and instead of just getting back on track, your brain will be like, I know you are bad with money and it will reinforce the behavior. And so the cycle repeats. So if you can start to change your language around money and your relationship with it, it can have a massive impact. And you can use things like affirmations 
So saying things like, I am good with money. I'm a good money manager. Money flows to me easily, things like that. And then the last part of the method, which is the A, the second A, is about building an abundance mindset. So believing that there are enough opportunities and money to go around and that you are looking for the greater things in life and not having a scarcity or a lack mindset. So really just believing in that. And I always say that practicing gratitude is a really great way to do that, which you mentioned already. And then also using visualization. And visualization can be a really powerful tool because basically your brain doesn't know, really doesn't always know the difference between what's happening in real life and what's happening in your imagination. So when you're thinking of something in your head and it's creating a feeling inside of you, your brain is going to then be primed and know how to, to respond. A lot of athletes use it, like Serena Williams, uses, she says it's like, you know, more of her mindset work that she does to win the match than it is actually the, the tennis playing. So all of these things kind of like come, come into this like build, bigger picture of how to improve your money mindset. But the key thing is repetition. So it's a bit like when you go to the gym, you can't expect to rock up to the gym one day, do an hour's workout and then walk out there with abs. You've got to show up. You've got to be consistent. And then one day you're going to be like, I feel like my body is different. Actually, I wake up really naturally. It's a habit for me to go to the gym now. It's not a struggle. I just wake up and do it naturally. And it's kind of the same with money. If When you're conscious and being mindful with those behaviors and those habits, and obviously the practical stuff leans into that, but the more conscious and mindful you can be over time, you will start to change your sort of self-image around money, your relationship with money and those behaviors get better. It's such a great toolkit. And I think so many good practical tips there that people can actually employ. But do you have some examples of clients that you've worked with where you've seen some of these changes? And and I think it's always really good, isn't it, to have real life stories where you can hear and people might be able to relate to that particular trait that people overcame. Yeah, so I had um, one of my earlier clients, she was, she worked in a sort of full-time job she was, uh, yeah, she was working in a nine, nine to five and she pro- she had about sort of eight to 10,000 pounds in like consumer debt. And she was, it was just, bef- it was around the pandemic. I think it was just after the pandemic because what happened was she'd gone pre-pandemic, you know, she was like, oh, it's okay. I've got a regular job. I make money every month. She was living paycheck to paycheck. She didn't really feel like she had anything to save for. So she wasn't saving she would just sort of spend it on a credit card and, you know, she was like, I'll pay it off one day. And it was stressing her out a bit, but she wasn't, you know, doing too much about it. After the pandemic, she had this moment of, wow, I thought my job was safe, but it's the first time when there's kind of been a threat to that. And I didn't, I, I, I wasn't prepared. Now she luckily didn't lose her job, but just the thought of that happening made her be like, I need to sort my relationship with money out. So we started working together and we we uncovered this kind of, feeling around worthiness and around what had happened to her when she was younger to do with money so she had her parents had broken up and her dad had a lot of money and was constantly chucking money at her you know um and then her her mum unfortunately didn't have as much she was you know a single mum raising her and her brother and she saw like the negative side and she saw like the different kind of power play with how like money was being used as a way to kind of keep her happy. And then her mum was was saying, we don't have any, we can't buy these things. So she was kind of living these two lives. So by the time she got into running her own business, at, not running her own business, sorry, making her own money in a, in a, in a company, she, she was using money as a tool, spending 
to make herself feel better. So when she was having a stressful day or a day where she was just a bit sad or struggling, the go-to response was to spend money because that's kind of what happened in her childhood with her dad. And it was causing her to sort of, you know, sabotage her own financial progress. It was, she wasn't able to save. She didn't feel excited by saving. She didn't have anything to work towards. And because she'd always, sort of similar, as I mentioned before, there was always someone on one side giving her money. She didn't felt like, she didn't necessarily feel like she needed to kind of like manage her own money as well. So when we were sort of uncovering this, we were talking about how you would look to change the way that you viewed holding on to money. And this idea that when you understand your own financial goals and your own financial values, and we worked through, you know, a goal for her was she really wanted to be able to uh, buy a house with her partner. So that was a, an emotional goal that she managed to sort of like unearth and get excited about. And then from a values point of view, we were able to acknowledge that her, her, her value, so what she would like money to do for her is give her convenience. So she loved Ubers and paying for a cleaner and, you know, all the things that made her life a little bit easier. An experience. She loved, you know, going out and experiencing new restaurants and new bars. And, you know, she lived in London and she wanted all of those things. And fashion. She was really into fashion and it was her version of creativity and expressing herself. So we were able to really hone in on creating a clear plan of how she can feel excited about saving towards this goal. But when it does come to spending, the best place for her to prioritize her spending, and then in the moment, finding ways to stop the impulse of, I've had a bad day, I'm gonna go shopping. It was more of a, I've had a bad day, what, what do I need to have in my toolkit? What do I need to be saying to myself that allows me to check, maybe sit with my emotions, or change my emotional state that doesn't involve me going to the high street and going to buy something that maybe I don't want or don't really need. It's about that sort of mindfulness piece. And obviously we worked together for a couple of months and unearthed a range of different things. And she sort of rewrote those beliefs around what the value of money and what money can do for you. And like this idea that holding on to money for an exciting goal, you know, to move in with her partner actually the excitement of that can help you to prioritize like saving and growing your money and holding on to it while still managing your money in a way that allows you to still have those things that bring you joy and a lot of the time when we spend because we when you get a bit of a you get a dopamine hit when you spend and a lot of the time that wears off by the time the item has turned up or by the time you're home with you know you're home I'm sure so many people who can say yeah I've got a million things in my wardrobe but still have the tags on or things that I've never pulled out of the cupboard or you know, I bought it because someone else bought it. Or I saw it online. And that in itself is where, and I put like quote marks, where there's like, it's a waste of money. Because I, I'm, I, your money is your own and you get to choose how you spend it, whether that's fashion, food, Ubers, whatever that looks like. But you want it to always be a conscious decision. And you say, I'm choosing to spend my money in that way. It's when you start to acknowledge how many of those purchases, impulse purchases were triggered by an emotion and you feel like that element was out of control. And, you know, that in itself, I guess, like leans into saving, uh, sorry, spending. But, you know, I've also had clients who are the other end and massive hoarders of money because they always were scared they were never going to have enough. And therefore really found themselves feeling guilty about spending. So they're working so hard for this money. They're hoarding it all, maybe in cash, and they're scared to take risks with investing because your money mindset can have a massive impact on, on you, you, you investing and growing your money for the future because you're scared to let go of it. So it's really like acknowledging where are, that, where are the bits that's holding you back. And that kind of guilt piece around spending your money or the fear of not having enough is 
looking at, well, first of all, what does enough look like for me? Is it, an, is it a number? What's the feeling? How are you, know, you going to know when you've got enough? Because otherwise it becomes a goalpost that keeps moving. And what things do I need to put in place to give myself that security to help me enjoy spending and, and start investing? So yeah, I've had a range of clients, but um, they're the sort of clue that kind of mainly comes to mind. Thanks so much for your time today. There's so many practical tips in there that I think everyone is going to really enjoy. So thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So check out Laura on Instagram. She has some really great videos with tips and generally she offers out these tips while she's like getting ready or doing her hair or doing her makeup. So it feels very relatable and like you're kind of chatting to someone as you get ready for a night out. So that's quite nice. Yeah. And what is really always relatable and something that we ask all of our guests to do because we think it it humanizes them and sort of puts them on an equal platform with all of us is we get their financial confessions and hear your stories. So I think that probably my biggest like money mistake or regret is to do with not getting started investing earlier. So I, I've always been very um, safe with my money. My approach has always been, you know, I've been a bit of a hoarder. I've held on to money. And when I was 25, between the ages of what, 24, between the ages of sort of 24 and 27, I saved 25 grand. I moved to London. I had this money sat in a bank account. And then I found out about investing and like learning about growing your money. And when I found that piece of information out, it took me a whole year of researching and educating and questioning myself to then get started. And now I look back on that and I can see how ironically it came from a lot of my money mindset around the fear of like losing money and not having enough and what that meant for me. And when when you learn about, you know, compound interest, growing your money, spending time in the market, I can look back and go, I really, you know, lost out on money by not getting started sooner. and it's one of those things where, you know, I'm doing it now, so it's, it's all good. But I definitely wish that I had the confidence to kind of just get started straight away. Such a topical one this week um, when we think about our conversation that we were having at the start of this episode about more women investing. And I think Laura probably sums up quite a few people there where it's you feel like you need to have the perfect circumstances, the perfect knowledge of investing, um, the perfect pot size before you get started when actually I think her message is just get going and and see how you do. And she's certainly not the only one of our guests that has had that particular Mm. confession. I think it's possibly the number one confession that we have had since we've been doing this podcast. And and you're absolutely right. You know, uh, if you don't ever get out there, get ready to surf those waves, then you're just going to keep sitting on the sidelines. You're going to keep watching and yeah, you're going to miss out. So uh, really important and brilliant to hear from Laura. And we hope you've enjoyed this bit of fresh air and positivity because we know it's quite tough out there. And I think it's important to celebrate the good news as we find it at the moment, rather than everything just being a bit depressing. Yeah, and on our next episode, we're going to be talking about a huge milestone for an awful lot of women, and that is becoming a mother. And I've been chatting to the fantastic Tolu Fringpong, who has just had her fourth child. I've got two. You've got one? Four? Yeah, I, I bow my um, head, I tip my hat 
Um, she knows the drill, obviously, but she no. still finds that baby brain and sleep deprivation impact her financial choices. And she shares some of her secrets about managing money with a newborn in tow. And that's it for this episode of Money Matters. So don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook. So there's plenty of ways to get in touch with your thoughts and questions. And as we said earlier, do sign up to our newsletter so you don't miss a thing and give your friends and family a nudge if they've not joined our community yet. So till next time, thanks a lot for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.